All right. Hello, everyone. Dr. Hondorp here for this really great episode and conversation that I had with Marie. I am, she has an amazing name that I don't want to butcher, so I don't want to mispronounce it. So she says on her podcast, the Balanced Dietitian podcast, that English friends can call her Marie. So we're going with that. Marie truly is a bright light in the world. And that's why I named this episode as such. And she has a really great story that she shares with us today. Essentially, she talks about her diagnoses of having an eating disorder and her process of healing from that. And then after that, going into the field of nutrition, she has a background in psychology, but she ended up first going to law school, but then going back to school for nutrition. And now she practices as an anti-diet dietitian. She has, like I said, a podcast and she, you can find her on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. She truly is a, a bright light. She interviewed me on her podcast and then I interviewed her and she's just a, an energetic, passionate soul and an example of how dieting and diet culture really holds people back from being their true, authentic, passionate selves and bringing their true self to the world. And I didn't know her when she was in her eating disorder or in the diet culture mindset, but I know that, and she described herself as this bright light and how many people go around living with a dimmed light. And I thought that was a really accurate way to say it. And I know that I resonate with that concept of, although I loved my life previously, I am so much more authentically myself more than ever and more free than ever when your mind isn't caught up in calorie counting and all of the exhausting aspects of trying to control your body and weight in an ineffective and ultimately very unhealthy way. So in this conversation with Marie, we talk a bit about her journey through standard nutrition training and how she sort of gradually got exposed to the anti-diet approach and her process with that and how as a dietitian, she had fears about being seen as how people, what people would think if she was the fat dietitian in her words and what, how freeing it was to say, wait a second, I respect all bodies in the people I work with and I want to do that. And, and really truly giving herself permission to be her full, true, authentic self. So we talk about that. We talk a little bit about some experiences with what it means to have autonomy, what it means to truly listen to your intuition and figure out what's right for you. We talk about her love of movement now and how she's reclaimed that for herself. So we dive into so much good. I can't wait for you to tune into this conversation with Marie. And as a reminder in general, before we get started, this podcast and blog is for informational and educational purposes only and is not to be a substitute for any form of professional advice. And then also, as a reminder, if you have not downloaded my free 10-minute guided walk where you can pop in your earbuds and take a walk with me, hearing me talk over some fun, uplifting music, it's guided imagery is such a cool way to 
shift our beliefs in an empowering way and to sort of experience that emotion that comes along with true shifts in the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about exercise, the way we think about appreciating our bodies. So if you haven't gotten that yet, go to drhondorp.com forward slash reclaim. The other thing that I'll ask for you, if you've been getting value from this podcast, I know I'm a huge podcast listener and I try to do reviews and I totally get you're busy, but you can just pop open your phone right now as you're listening. And if you can review the podcast, even if you did before, if you can review again and let me know which episodes are resonating with you, I would love to hear that. You can also take a screenshot and just let me know your takeaways. Tag me on Instagram at at psychology.of.wellness and I would love to hear from you. And if you got value from Marie, you should definitely follow her at The Balanced Dietitian and you can tag her as well. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation today. All right. So today I have the pleasure of talking with Marie Pierre and hopefully I pronounced your name right, Marie. Um, I know on your podcast, you say it English friends can call you Marie. So we're going to stick with that. But Marie is an anti-diet registered dietitian with a bachelor's in psychology and is the founder of the Balanced Dietitian as well as the Balanced Dietitian podcast. She's very passionate about helping folks discover how to nourish their bodies without guilt, shame, or restrictions. She strives to provide evidence-based nutrition interventions to all of her clients and support them in their recovery journeys. And Bree and I got to chat a few, gosh, weeks or months ago. I forget the exact timeline on her podcast. We had a really great conversation. And today we're going to be talking a bit about Marie's personal journey and her relationship with food, as well as some of her experiences as an anti-diet dietitian mixed in as well. So welcome to the Motivation Made Easy podcast, Marie. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So let's dive in. Can you tell the listeners just about a, a little bit about you, your background, and how you got into doing the work you do now? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like I said, my name is Marie Pierre, but Marie is totally good. So I'm a dietitian here in Ottawa, Canada. I'm a French Canadian. So you may hear it through my accent during this podcast. Um, So my journey actually started like I was not always anti-diet, like I feel not many of us are, um, as we are born in diet culture. But my journey started in psychology. So I was first really interested in psychology, I grew up with a really big family. So we are eight siblings in total. And I always found it so interesting to see like the differences in all of us and our behaviors and our emotions and our perspective, about, like, you know, everything that happened through like those family dynamics. Yeah. So throughout that first bachelor's degree, I was for sure like loving psychology and that's what I wanted to do. Um, but when I finished, I started university very young. Um, so here in Canada, um, yeah, after high school, you just go directly to university. And, but I was 16 when I started university. So wow. very young. That so I graduated young. when I was 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I had left a very abusive relationship and I was struggling a little bit to know where I wanted to go. Like I felt very young to continue and here, like with a bachelor's in psychology, like you need to go get your doctorate degree. Like there's not much you can do with it. I just really did not know what I wanted to do. And I felt it was this period of transition in my life. And something I was always in the back of my mind was law school. It's always something that I found interesting. Um, I had like no 
really plan to do it, but I decided to apply in law school and got into law school and moved away from home for the first time. And at that time, I actually developed an eating disorder. So over that summer and transitioning to a new city with something that's completely different, like psychology and law school is like two <laughs> different universe. Yeah. Um, so it was completely yeah. different. I was in my environment anymore. I'm super close to my family and I was aside from home and then leaving an abusive relationship that made me feel um, not too great. I started to really blame my body for a lot of things. And I started to put so much pressure on my body and I decided that, you know what, Maybe I can't control everything, but my body is something I can control. And I started to do all these different things and I saw my body changing and I, it just like reaffirmed for me of like, oh yeah, as long as I do this, like this is all fine and good um, until it turned into an eating disorder. Um, so through that first year in law school, um, I actually ended up staying there only eight months and I, I um, got diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and six months later I got diagnosed with bulimia nervosa. Um, I moved back home and started my recovery process. I was super fortunate that uh, my eating disorder was um, diagnosed very early on and I had access to care and treatment, which is not something that everybody has. So super um, privileged to have had access to that. And throughout my recovery journey, I would see psychologists, I would see dietitians all the time, <laughs> but my dietitians would never talk to me about like, oh, how do you feel about food? And what do you believe to be true about food? And my thought process around food. And my psychologist would not talk to me about food either, right? It was more about like, oh, what happened? And like more thoughts and emotions and things like that. Mm -hmm. So to me, going through that experience, I'm like, oh, there's such a gap. Like, I wish we would sit the three of us in a room <laughs> because it didn't feel, um, it felt like it was, there was something missing. Um, so from that point, I decided to go back to school again um, to get my degree in nutrition to become a registered dietitian so I could bring my background in psychology and nutrition to really support folks with this. Like after having had my own struggle, like I know how painful it is to have such a bad relationship to food in your body and like wishing body parts away and just really live, living every day and just hyper-focusing on food and body all the time. Like I, I know how painful that is. So I feel like that just became my mission of like, okay, the way I show up today, I feel like I'm like a bright light compared to what my eating disorder, like my light was so dimmed. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people live with a dim light because we're so obsessed with food and body and we're so stuck in that cycle. So through that, after getting my degree, I started my own practice um, and we're now five dietitian and a therapist working together to support people through their own recovery journey. Wonderful. Yeah. And you, um, information. yeah, no, I want to, I want to know more, but you, so I guess in terms of the timeline prior to going away to law school, it sounds like that definitely triggered some really unhealthy attitudes about like controlling your body, sort of dieting and, and then the eating disorder prior to that, how was your relationship with food? I think it was never optimal. Um, growing up, so I'm half French, half Italian, and in both families, uh, my parents divorced when I was really young. Um, food was always like the center of attention. It was always like this thing to be celebrated and we love food and it's all great. But there was always like this caveat of like, Ugh, but don't enjoy it too much. But also like, don't derive too much pleasure from food. And also like, be careful because there's too much. And like, 
talking about like good foods and bad foods was always there. My parents were going on diets all the time. They were talking to us about, you know, their diets. Um, they never like shamed us or our bodies, but they would definitely shame their own bodies and other people that they would see. So my relationship to food was like, okay. Um, but it wasn't never great. I would say yeah, it was like um, tenuous at best. Like it was sort of like not um, super detrimental at the time to how you like ate or related right. to yourself, but it was never right. optimal. Like you said, like it didn't feel, it didn't feel like peaceful. Like it felt like I, I didn't feel, I felt like I could eat everything I wanted, but there were always like, like, mm, but is that like really good for you? <laughs> like, should you really do that right now? Or yeah. Some like mild of, like, guilt issues. thoughts just sort of chirping away in the yeah. background. Yeah. And then in high school, I played competitive basketball. So then I got into the mindset of like, well, now I can eat whatever I want because I'm moving and because I'm doing this. So because I'm so active now, it's okay. So always kind of icky relationship to it. Um, but it was fine and tolerable until it wasn't anymore. And until I fell really into that, like, way of like, oh, how can I like hyper control everything? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And how long did that process take you as you think about like sort of healing your relationship with food and, and recovery, just an average or kind of general yeah. timeline? Yeah. And I, I always like to give a disclaimer when talking about timeline, just because everybody's recovery period will be so, so, so different Of course, um, you know, in relationship to how long you were struggling and also like how much help and support you were able to get. So in my sense, it feels like it wasn't long, but it was probably five years, um, okay. which is super. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It felt really long. It felt like decades, um, but like five years in the scheming life, like I think it was okay. Um, I think the first two years were the ones that were really, really difficult for me. And then it started to be better, but it took, I think, five years until I felt that like total freedom and peace with myself, with my body and just being able to really embody that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think from the, the this, um, recovering from the eating disorder, I think then there was a little bit of that disordered eating, or at least in the thought patterns that weren't completely there. Um, so yeah, I would say around five years. Yeah. I appreciate sharing that. And, and I totally agree with you. Like I, I think sometimes it's, we don't want to get too fixated on numbers, but I think sometimes people like to sort of get a general picture, but also um, like you said, there's so many factors that lead to individual differences in a, in a timeline. Um, Cause a lot of this is on a continuum, although certainly many of us have like met criteria for diagnoses. There's also this like long continuum of some people never meet criteria for a specific diagnosis and still can struggle. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing that. The other thing I was going to, um, well, ask you about first is when you really realized that you needed to move away from dieting, diet culture, like what kind of prompted that change for you to say, like, I need to relate differently to my body. Yeah, it, it took a while and it wasn't right after recovery because when I was in school in nutrition, unfortunately, I'm here and I think it's the same in the States, our health system is very weight centric. So my whole degree in nutrition was very weight centric. We even had a class where like out of nowhere, they're like, okay, guys, we're all going to measure ourselves. And like in front of the class, they were like measuring our body fat and weighing ourselves and like doing the fat grabs and like super like traumatizing. Right. <laughs> so the, yeah. whole, the whole four years was very like deep into diet culture. Um, so through that time, like I didn't like, 
for me, the degree helped me recover in a way because it helped me like put science behind food and understand food. So not seeing food as an enemy anymore, but it did not help me with my own fat phobia that I had. It actually probably made that worse. That's interesting because I think I had a very similar experience where because we're so weight centric and because we're so like, like diet culture, so infused into the way we approach nutrition, like health behaviors, weight in general, that, um, and I've said that before, I think actually being in graduate school where we were doing weight loss interventions was probably kept me struggling for longer perhaps than I would have. So it sounds like you kind of had that similar experience. Oh, hundred percent. And like my relationship to food was somewhat better ish. It wasn't perfect then either. Mm-hmm. Um, but to my body, I was like, I can't be a fat dietitian. Like that was like my biggest concern. I was like, okay, I want to recover, but like weight restoration and gaining weight is so scary because what will people think if I'm a fat dietitian? So it was like super messed up. And there was actually oh, anyways, a lot of a lot to unpack within that program itself. Um, but once I graduated, I, I wasn't yet on board with health at every size either. Like I graduated, I got a full-time job in a long-term care as well as at the same time I developed my private practice. And I feel like I was one of the people who was on the fence of like, okay, I knew diets didn't work. Like I, I understood that. However, I still felt that weight loss was like an adequate, um, intervention for me to help support people with, but I would name it as like a mindful weight loss program and like do it in the mindful and like healthy way. (laughs) So I think it was just, that was like my transition from like, okay, we're not being restrictive. I'm trying this thing out. Um, It did not take long for me to be like, okay, this brings me no pleasure. Like I don't like to support people through this. And also the more that I got educated, I'm like, am I causing more harm? And to me today, my, myself here today is like, yeah, probably like, I think I, I contributed to it as well. Um, and it was just through my own practice, seeing different clients. And then I started to get, um, specialized in eating disorder care and disordered eating that I was like, okay, I can't, I can't treat someone with an eating disorder and tell them that like, Hey, restricted and food labels, like we're not working through that. But then someone who's trying to lose weight to be like restrict and like this food is good versus bad. I'm like, there's so much incoherence within these messages. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, or someone in a thin body, all foods are adequate, but someone in a larger body needs to do it in moderation. Like it just felt very um, confusing and coherent to me. And definitely create a big clash where I was like, okay, something needs to be different. And for me, like that was, it It was like starting to work with people. And even with my own self of like, if I hold these standards for people, like I will never be free. Like if I'm always scared to gain weight and be like a bigger dietitian and all of these things, like I will never be set free (laughs) and I will never be able to support other people being set free. Yeah. Yeah. Truly like, um, that, that like true freedom versus sort of like, well, I think a lot of people have, whether they're individuals working on their relationship with food or professionals helping people with their health and their relationship with food, we have this like journey and this progress of like learning and challenging, you know, challenging old ways of thinking and, and then relearning. Right. And, and sort of, I think many of us, definitely myself included, you're just on this, path and you don't always realize fully that you're on it. And I actually still say like, cause sometimes on this podcast we talk about, well, and I interviewed a health at every size dietitian 
recently and she was talking about like the movement is not necessarily anti-weight loss. It's just, we're coming at it from a much, such a different point, but I think it all gets lost in this. Um, it's so hard to capture these nuances um, with, yeah. with like one sentence or one description. And, and yet like a lot of people, I think in, in my community in particular, like we're trying to like put it all together. Like, how does this all make sense? Um, but it's this idea that like when you, for you or for anyone like this, the language we use matters a lot. Um, and the way we're approaching health in this more broad based view, I'm making like a, for the listeners, like a circle. Um, but it's, it's a lot to hold and it's a lot to make sense of, especially when we're coming from a very weight centric model and almost all training programs. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like it's a lot for like us as health professionals to unlearn ourselves and learn and understand. And then how do you support people through this as well? And I think you're right in terms of like a lot of things in this world is very black and white. It's one or the other, whereas like this approach is very nuanced. There's a lot of gray zone and it's like this part where, well, what is actual health? And do we need to choose to be healthy? Is that a value that we all need to have? And yeah, same thing with like weight loss, like the anti-diet is not anti-dieter if someone chooses to do this, or if you lose weight, it's not a bad thing. Just like if you gain weight, it's not a bad thing. It's like being able to bring that body neutrality piece of can our bodies just be our bodies and not this like thing that we hyper-focus on and like take control over our life. So I think there, there's a lot of layers to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like an onion. There's so many layers to unpack and like just go through and understand our own stuff that we internalize too. Absolutely. Yeah. And one question I was going to ask later, but I'll ask it now because we're already sort of talking about it. You know, we often talk on this podcast about having discussions about these topics across disciplines. And I think this is essential if we're really going to make significant like systemic shifts in the way we approach weight and health. And I'm curious what your thoughts, I know you've had some experiences interacting with other fields, um, you know, obviously within the dietetics field or nutrition field, there's different schools of thought, but I, I guess also, and I think you've done some training like health professionals. I'm, I'm curious some of your experiences with, with those discussions, how those have gone, maybe challenges that you've had. Um, yeah. I think it is challenging when, I think it is challenging when we meet people who are maybe um, very into like weight loss and diet culture. Like I know for me, especially at the beginning, like now for me, it's probably been like three years that I've been doing this work. I feel like I'm still newish, but I'm, I'm, um, a lot more centered within my work and aligned with it at the beginning it was like anger like when I would meet these like other health professionals that were not health at every size um, or were not willing to understand uh, I think there was a lot of frustration of like I don't understand how you don't understand that this is causing harm whereas right now for me there's just like a lot of compassion because I there like it's not too long ago that I also was there where I didn't really understand and it was it's challenging to challenge yourself (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially when like everything around you tells you like no no this is right and especially if you are in a thin body and you're in a health profession that told you that this is just the way to do so right now to me is really focusing on that self-compassion piece of like, we're all on this journey. Like people will get there, other people will not. Um, but then it's just like how we choose to, to talk to other health professional. Like at the end of the day, like I believe truly that most health professionals just want to take, take care and support their clients. Yep. Right. We may have different approaches. 
um, and we may disagree on our approaches, but at the end of the day, I think we're all here doing this work because we like to serve and we like to support. Um, so sometimes it's just being able to connect on those pieces and be like, cool, how can we support them with both respecting our boundaries? Yeah. Which is also important, I think, especially um, yeah, in the healthcare system. Yeah, I love that. And I think I love too that you acknowledge like, yeah, there was anger, there was frustration because we're human and we have our own reactions based on our personal and professional experiences and and the harm that we've seen happen, right? And we have to sort of like, to always react with anger usually is like not going to lead to that productive of a conversation. So being able to step back and have compassion for yourself and whatever it brings up, but also that person is hard. It's hard to it's hard to hold all that space. And yet I do think it's essential. And so I I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's what most people that try to have these conversations across, like even within, I've noticed in the podcast, like um, when I talk to people that I agree with like 98, 99% of what they're saying, but we find some points of disagreement. It's uncomfortable, even in people that I know, like I already know these people, I know we respect each other and it's still uncomfortable. So to me, you think about like someone you don't know or someone that you maybe disagree more with, like it's a lot and, um, and we can handle it, right? Like uncomfortable doesn't mean we can't handle it. It just, um, it's just is what it is. Well, it's hard because I also don't feel like a lot of us are taught how to like deal with confrontation or conflict, which is not confrontation when it's just like different ideas and how to talk it through and be like, cool, what do you think that about this and that? One of my colleagues always calls in like, instead of calling someone out, you always call them in to be like, hey, I would invite you to think about it this way. This is how, how it has been helpful for me or whatever the case may be to kind of engage in those conversations. Yeah. But I can't lie. There's still times that I get upset, especially if there's someone like clients who come to see me after they've seen another health professional and like hearing the stuff that were said, I'm like, okay, I need a moment to take it all in and to really like allow it to just, because it is still frustrating for of sure. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course it's same. And, and yeah, you never want anyone to have experiences, especially the more extreme, like mm-hmm. stigma, but, but even the more subtle ones for sure. So um, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, when we first connected on the podcast, I listened to one of your episodes and I wanted to ask you about, um, something that you shared, you, uh, you interviewed, uh, your husband on about his experiences. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about this instance that you shared on that podcast, because I think it illustrates this concept of autonomy that we, we talk about on this podcast. So in terms of how we communicate with other people to how they support us, where, where we're at right now. I think you had shared an experience, if I remember correctly, of like going to see family and your husband helping you to be mindful of um, possibly binge eating, if I recall correctly, and like to sort of like put a hand on your hand to sort of just remind you to be mindful. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yep. And I thought that was a nice example. And I'm curious if you can expand on it of this idea of like that in different scenarios, and it sounds like maybe even your family had some thoughts about it, but in different scenarios that could be perceived as controlling, but it was different because you had asked for it, right? So we thought talk about moving away from controlled motivation to autonomous motivation. And the main thing is like how the person experiencing it feels. So in this scenario, how you felt um, in that scenario of like you had asked him to help support you to be mindful. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And I know this is a little bit different (laughs) because this does not work for everyone. And like, 
if you were to do this today, it would be very different. (laughs) Exactly. It can change. Yep. Season to season of where we're at. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So I think this is the part that for me, like when I was like in diet culture and within my eating disorder, like, like you say, everything was external, right? Everything for me, like was like calculating with the calculator and like having all the numbers and like very, that controlling part. And when I, I swung from one extreme to the next with like anorexia to bulimia and like these places of feeling like loss of control, which was literally just my body pushing me to eat (laughs) and like trying to survive. Yeah. Biological Um, impulse. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But in those moments, um, I, I was completely disconnected from my body. Um, and for me, like I went through a lot of therapy and just even understanding my needs and what I needed from him. And I think that was part of what was really nice is just like, he was willing to be supportive in that. And something for me that I found was I wasn't able to tune into my body and use my internal cues yet. And when there was a lot of people, a lot of different fun foods that I loved, I felt completely overwhelmed and, and I would engage in my eating disorder behaviors. So for us, what was something that was helpful was just like when we were at these types of events and there was always a conversation before we went to that event of, of like, Hey, when we go here, here's what I want for me. Here's how I'm feeling right now. The days where I felt good, it was okay. But the days where I'm like, today's a really bad day and we're doing this, which is a lot for me. Can you do this for me? And for him was just like, when he started to see me started like getting anxious, I have very, I don't have a poker face. You guys don't see me because this is a podcast. I'm like very expressive. <laughs> <laughs> so when I start to not feel good, it was pretty easy for him to see. Um, and what his thing was, um, was just like, yeah, putting either his hand on my hand, his hand on my thigh. Um, and that to me was just an indication of like, okay, tune in, like, do I want more food? What do I need right now? Um, because it was super easy for me to just completely ignore my cues. And then for me, what that would happen with that, I would either binge and then I would purge, which is not something that I wanted to continue to do. Um, so yeah, so it was very external of like him having to like do something like a behavior to remind me to tune in, to be like, okay, wait, (laughs) what do I need right now? What do I want? How do I feel? What needs do I, do I have? Do I need food? Am I still hungry? Do I need to take step away from my overwhelming family right now? Like what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Something that we did. Um, and then through time and, that behavior, as I was able to start tuning in more, we took that away. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because like you said, like some people can see that and be like, oh no, he is controlling what she's eating, which for us, like, that's not what it was at all. Yeah. Um, but even for me, like I needed to be independent too. Like, this is not something I want him to continue to do for years ongoing. Yeah. Um, but it was just that time for me to really learn to like trust myself. And that part was really hard. Cause I think with diet culture, we completely lose trust in ourselves. Like we're told that we can't trust our bodies because if we don't micromanage, we're going to blow up like balloons and like life will be horrible. So during this trust process where I was building trust with myself and my body was learning to trust me back, um, that was something that was super, super helpful. Did I explain that? You did. And I think it's a really nice example of how Like, I think when we think about intuitive eating and tuning in and internally attuned approaches to eating, some people, um, A, are obviously very fearful of that, understandably, right? And also, 
they are saying like, because sometimes people feel so out of control and there's such a lack of trust there, I think that's really normal. And so when I, I talk to people about like controlling the things we can and setting ourselves up for success, very not diet culture way, right? But to say like, and sometimes that is asking for what you need. Sometimes it's like, making the home environment more helpful at that time to set you up to get more in tune with your body, obviously like regular eating, but maybe like having certain foods that feel really out of control, like out of the home, but it's the, the place that you're doing it from is like, this is what's helpful for me today right now. And, and that may change and it probably will change over time. But, um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes with intuitive eating, people have this perception that it's like, uh, free for all, which obviously is not right. Um, but it's like putting in boundaries that can help you to regain that trust. And I guess that example with your husband helping you out is just like one example of that, of just like, just a little bit of an extra reminder to tune in, um, or just to, to stop in that moment. And, uh, so I don't know if it felt like that to you, but that's how I think of like this, how do we sort of help people ask for what yeah. they need or plan for what would be helpful to them in a way that's not restrictive, but is, um, actually helps to regain that trust. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And I like that. Like when we think of intuitive eating, it's not an all or nothing. You don't go from being a dieter to the next day. You're like super in tune with your body and understand all the cues and everything that you want to do. So I think like maybe switching some of the external cues of like, okay, it's no longer calorie counting. It's no longer weighing yourself, but are those other external cues that we can do to support ourselves, but that are still aligned with where we want to go. So for example, with some of my clients, what we do is actually alarms on their phone where if for them, it's the, they forget to eat throughout the day and then they get to the nighttime and they're like, oh my God, like so hungry. Well, we have multiple alarms throughout the day where it's like, okay, cool. When that goes on, like we need, it's a nourishing break. We need to nourish our body. So sometimes it's just like little things that are external that gives us a tool to eventually, like, it's not, it's not there to stay. It's something to support until you build your own internal cues. But that process itself takes time, especially like if you've had an eating disorder, like it's to be expected that you can't completely rely on your body and your cues because there's a lot of things that happen to our body when we're struggling with eating disorder and same thing with disordered eating. Like if you've been a chronic dieter, it, it may be really hard for you to trust your body right now. And the thought of like free for all of like, I can have all foods. Like it's really scary. But the idea with intuitive eating is that you do get to that place where you can have all foods, but you're able to make a conscious decision that aligns with you, that what you want to do and how you want to feel and how you want to be nourished. Yeah. But sometimes you just skip to that step of like all the foods and it feels so overwhelming and I can have it all, which is like a good thing, but then it's being able to like, and what aligns with me and what do I want and what makes me feel good? Right, right. And yeah, you can sort of like move towards that in a way that you can sort of just like take it away, take away all the constraints. Like that's a completely valid choice. Or you could do it in a, a slightly different way of like, I'm going to make some shifts in a way that feels safe and helpful for me or, or, yeah. So there, we have options, right? Yeah. There's no wrong way to tune into your intuition. Yes. <laughs> to get there. Yes. And trust yourself in the process. It's hard. I think that's probably the, the thing that people struggle with the most. I would imagine you probably have similar experiences of like, yeah, trust in myself, trust in others. Like it's a, it's a, this is a big topic, but um, it can be very, very freeing when we learn to say like, is this really going to work for me? And it's okay to have some, some objections or doubts, but to be able to also say like today, this is what I think would be helpful for me, like putting your, your own two cents into it too. So 
Yeah, no, um, like advocating for ourselves piece is hard. That and like the acceptance yeah. of self too. It's it's hard. The healing process is not an easy process, but it's very worthy. Like it's extremely beneficial once we we get to be here. Yeah. Do you have a sense of if there are certain um, things that were like most helpful to you? I'm sure there was a number of different approaches or things, but whether it's like resources or books or like even things that you heard that were most helpful in helping you shift? Yeah, I think there's a few things like in terms of like one of the biggest things for me was to stop weighing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know like that sounds crazy. And now it's probably been four years that I haven't weighed myself. Like and it's totally fine. I'm still here. <laughs> like, yeah. I can still engage in all the behaviors and I don't need to know. That was a game changer for me um, because, yeah, that, that number impacted me so much, um, whether it was up or down. Um, and so that was a big thing. Stopped to counting calories and deleting the apps on my phone. Um, I didn't realize, like, in my head, I was like, it's fine because I'm eating the foods regardless. It's just to know. It's just to know. It's just because I'm curious. But no, it was super controlling. So that was really a big thing, too. Um, and then for me, it was a lot of it doing my own work. Like, I think therapy and getting support was something that I needed, Um often we see with body image, and I don't know if you have that experience too, there is a lot of it that comes from like diet culture and where we're at in the world and all the expectations that are placed on our body. And then a big part of it is the expectations that we put on our body, right? Um, When things happen, it can be trauma, it can be different types of experiences that are negative or maybe really hard to deal with. A really great hashtag not so great coping mechanism is to put all that negative attention on your body. And I see that often of, you know, something happened and it just feels so uncomfortable. Let me hyper-focus on my body because that's something I can control. And although this is painful and it sucks, it sucks less than dealing with the rest of the emotions. So for me, that was the case. Like there was a lot other stuff to unpack, which was my eating disorder was more of a symptom. Um, so I think going through that and unpacking my own stuff and really getting support was extremely supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's incredibly common, right? And I often say like the, the, I call it the diet overlay of just like that focus of controlling that. And, and that can feel like I'm, I'm fixating my efforts on something that's really helpful. And, and I often say underneath that, I think it's good to not make assumptions about what's underneath that. Like we're humans, there's always something underneath it, emotions and, and pain. And sometimes it's more significant traumas and losses. And other times it's like some other, like seemingly more mild, like dissatisfaction in your career and things like that. But, um, but either way, like, yeah, taking a look at that for sure, because it's almost like it's pretty much not about the food, even if we like food, you know, I mean, food is to be enjoyed, but it's like, like you said, a symptom, just like any other thing. So Um, And I think too, like the understanding of like what diet culture is, like that was a game changer for me. Like I had no clue. (laughs) I did not, I did not know um, any better. And when I started to do research, when I started to read more books, connect with more people and really understand like what is diet culture and how much it impacted me personally, how much it's impacting like my mom and my grandmother and my sisters, like 
when you can see the impact of it on, you can see like, okay, this is outside of me. And like, I can choose to drop out. Like I can choose to no longer believe that. Like I can choose to connect what aligns to me and my values. And like, I believe that all people are good people and all bodies are good bodies. And that should apply to mine too. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like allowed me to be like, okay, these, these beliefs that I have about food, about body may not be mine. <laughs> right? They may come from somewhere else. Uh, So what do I believe to be true? And what's productive for me to believe? Has it had a positive impact on some of your family members and their relationship with food? Yes, I would think so. Um, I think for my family, it was really hard to see me struggle. Um, So for me to go from that, that extreme to where I am today, like I do think it's, um, yeah, it's been helping them too. And just being more like, okay with their own body. My sister sent me the other day, like my body is the least interesting thing about me. Yay. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. this is so great. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I, I do think, and I find it, find it too with my, my partner as well, where he, um, yeah, the way he thinks and his own thought patterns and his own internalized fat phobia that he's exploring as well. Like when you do this work, it has like almost no choice to impact the people around you because it provokes thoughts, right? Of like, okay, mm-hmm. why do I believe this? Mm-hmm. And how can I serve people better? Yes. Yeah. Cause yep, absolutely. And I think, uh, cause it's all on a continuum too. And I've, I've talked about like some, um, like my mother-in-law not really hasn't struggled a lot with this, but she like told me a couple months ago, like I need to go on a diet, I think. And then she listens to the podcast. She's like, no, I don't. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so just being able to, and even like, sometimes people don't really experience much struggle at all until later in their life. And then they're like, well, I guess it's time to go on a diet. And then it starts later. And it's like, well, this, this approach that we have, we need to take a look at it for all people, regardless of where the, on the continuum, the, how much they've struggled to what extent. Um, so yeah, I've noticed that as well. So, um, and I, I like to ask people in, in terms of what's one thing that you feel true autonomous internal motivation for, meaning that you truly have intrinsic motivation to do it, like you do it for the sake of the activity itself because of the challenge, enjoyment, intrinsic value for it. It could also be something that you choose to do and don't like love. The, those are both autonomous motivation, but um, is this could be health related or, or anything. Is there anything that kind of comes to mind for you? I think for me, movement is something that has now become, um, yeah, one of my favorite things to do and my favorite way to cope. I don't, I didn't always have a healthy relationship to movement. Um, I did prior to my eating disorder, like I used to play competitive basketball. I used to be very, very active. And then my eating disorder kind of pushed that too much. Um, but within healing my relationship with food, my body, I also healed my relationship with movement. And I can say like today, it's really something that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, and from the good place too, like, it's not coming from anything restrictive or not fun. And if I can't do it, it's fine. Um, and I started to do like competitions and like triathlons and things like that, that just like are to me, super, super fun. Um, and great ways to connect with my body as well. Like I always like to see, um, yeah, what different movements, how my body moves and my mobility and things like that. Like I find that super, super cool. And that's something that I really enjoy to do. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like there's the, the challenge of it, the enjoyment of it, but just like the, it sounds like there's a lot of things that you notice when you, we de-associate it with weight or 
calorie burn, it can be very freeing and uh, very positive in a bunch of ways. So perfect. Well, mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that. And um, tell the listeners where they can, the best ways to learn more about you. Um, and I can also include any links that you want me to share as well. Yeah, so they can find me. I hang out mostly on Instagram at The Balanced Dietitian. Mm -hmm. um, I have a podcast as well where we have like weekly episodes. Um, and I don't know when this is being aired out, but we have a like free workshop coming here. Like we have a few workshops over over the year. We try to have like workshops four times a year. Um, in May, we're going to have a free workshop on emotional eating, which is a topic that I've been that has been the most requested because it's been a very emotional year. Um, so we're going to talk about emotional eating from um, an anti-diet and weight inclusive perspective. So really understanding our emotions and why we eat emotionally and where it comes from. Um, so if you're interested in that, like you can sign up for the free workshop. Um, and if not, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I hang out most of the time anyway. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Maria. It's been fun just like last time. So thanks for being here and sharing your journey with us. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome to connect. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marie. I'm so grateful that she came on. And again, if you haven't already, I would love if you could leave us the podcast a review so more people can find it and I can continue to provide the free information and fun conversations. And also make sure to tag me on social media at psychology.of.wellness. Let me know your takeaways from this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. Thank you and have a wonderful and energized week.